Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Seth, how yes. are you? Reigning supreme. Re- what? <laughs> Over my lash. I don't know. <laughs> I, was trying, I was like, what's a two-sentence way to talk about Samuel in a response to the question how I'm doing? Reigning supreme. You're reigning with, with Jesus. Reigning with Jesus. I just meant like supremely in my own like power, intelligence, might. Oh, your soul. I'm King Saul. Oh, okay. Yeah, like. Well, also thinking about the brand Supreme and how, oh, like, mm. I wish I had a Supreme product just so that I could have it. I don't really want it, <laughs> but just because it's cool. I, this is something I didn't know about you. <laughs> it's just like it's like after ten years of being a youth pastor. You're like, yeah. oh, it'd be cool to have a Supreme what, T-shirt. Does it hurt your feelings? I think a little bit less of, of you now. Uh, for wanting a supreme I, item. I had expected that as soon as I said that. <laughs> well, um, I mean, this is as good of an introduction as you can give to the book of Samuel. It's um, true. So welcome, everyone. The supreme Samuel. Uh, today we're going to be talking about... If King um, Saul had an apparel of oh choice, my goodness. it would be supreme. <laughs> oh, I apologize for my friend, my dear friend, Seth. Um, we're, we're in Samuel today. Uh, this is an, an overview of the whole book, which uh, a couple things to note. One, uh, first and second Samuel is one book. Is one book. It's just mm-hmm. Samuel. Um, Originally, it was written in the original Hebrew. Mm-hmm. It was one collected uh, story about the rise and fall of King David and King Saul and the establishment of Israel as a kingdom and the transition from like the tribal judges to an established unified monarchy. Mm -hmm. That's all contained on one in one story called Samuel. Right. And is it, is it the reason it's split into two is because the length needed to be scroll length, scroll length. Yeah. They couldn't fit the whole story traditionally on one scroll. So it got split up into two scrolls, but it was one story. Um, And so we are going to treat the the book of first and the books of first and second Samuel as one book uh, yeah. And literarily, the way they're structured, it, makes, it you kind of have to. Yeah, it makes a lot um, of sense. And so it, it's just better to do that. Now, yeah, the uh, book of First Samuel ends with the rising of power of King David, and he's kind of like in the middle of his rise to power, and then King Saul dies. Right. So if the book just ends there, it's like, this is an incomplete story. Yes. You have the antagonist who's dead, but the protagonist hasn't done anything yet. Yes. He's just been anointed king, and that's it. Like, yeah. There's no right. resolution if you stop at first. Exactly, at the end of first exactly right. And so just a note up front that we want to make here is that um, Samuel is, is, a, is a large book. It is big. With tons of stories and lots of overlapping patterns, characters. Um, there's a lot of, of politics going on. Yeah. There's a lot of theology going on. It's a very porous book in that the the spirits just seem to move in and out of yeah. the history the history of Israel seamlessly so it kind of you'll be reading a, okay I get it I'm reading a, a, a politics book or a history book and then all of a sudden the Samuel, <laughs> Samuel will raise from the dead and talk like through the art of necromancy and you're like 
am I reading? What book am I reading right now? Yeah. And so what we want to say is that um, we are in no way in this episode are we going to be able to talk about any or many of the stories. We probably won't even talk about David and Goliath in this in this episode. We might, but I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, really, the goal here in this overview episode is to talk about the the key story and the key themes of this book, and 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 of course, since this is spoken gospel, how ultimately Samuel does a lot of heavy lifting for setting the stage for Jesus. Uh, yeah. A lot of the, the the things that he taught and said, and a lot of the titles and expectations he was given and were expected the, the, of him. The major innovation of the book of Samuel is the introduction of the idea of a kingdom and a king, mm-hmm. um, not just as a, like, um, it'd be a good uh, political idea to have a kingdom and a king, but as like a theological and messianic category yes. of what to expect for God to do in the future. Mm-hmm. So that, like when you hear the kingdom of God in the New Testament, the reason that language is there is because of the book of Samuel. Because of the things that started in Samuel. If you've ever heard like Jesus's crucifixion is like an ascension ceremony and then like all those parallels with like the purple robe or the crown of uh-huh. thorns, all that's there because of Samuel. Yeah, maybe it, it might even be helpful without going into detail just to like lean in on why this is so important. It's like, think about your New Testaments, right? P- Jesus is called son of David. Yep. You know, all the time, he's people who believe in him and have faith the cry out, son of David. The genealogies trace their, make sure, da- like, make sure Jesus mm-hmm. is traced back to David. That's right. It's a key part of the way Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. He talks to them about who is David's son, the promised son of David, mm-hmm. you know, that it was comes from Samuel. Yeah. And they're like, they're scratching their heads. You know, it's a big deal. When Peter preaches the very first gospel sermon in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, he uses the promised seed of David and David's own death as mm-hmm. the one who did not fulfill the promise as the apologetic, the argument to prove that Jesus is the son of David. So the first gospel sermon was preached out of the book of Samuel in a sense, yeah. you know, obviously it was preached out of Psalms and Joel, but, but like yes. the ideas, the theological categories were built all from, from Samuel. Samuel. So, and yeah, Bonus. Bonus. Ooh. You understand the Psalms better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah so the, the, like, the vast majority of David's Psalms were written during the time, really, of 1 Samuel and, a lo- and also 2 Samuel Here, during his times of trial. You know what I thought about when uh, I was... What, what did you what, think about? So there's like 56 chapters of just crazy stories. Okay. The rise and fall, rebellions, everything. I was like, when did David have time to write... <laughs> He wrote 150 psalms? When? I mean, he took like that sojourn uh, uh, among the Canaanites just for a little really while. a productive sabbatical. Just a really productive year and a half that he spent out there. And then, you know, all that time in caves, you yeah, know? I mean, he could cave be time. Cave time, right? Yeah, cave time. Writing psalms. <laughs> cave time. Uh, cave time. <laughs> psalms, a.k.a. cave time. Cave time. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's that's okay. our that's our next that's our that's next our next, pod, that's yeah. our next video is going to be uh, the Psalms as cave time. If you ever want a justification for your man cave, oh, there you go. It's the day I need one, and I would write as prolifically as, as the psalmist. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay, wow. Anyway, um, so Samuel, uh, I think Seth has Seth has set up a really good category here, and I think we need to tease it out a little bit. So, one, what is like like what is a kingdom? 
why is it being introduced here in First Samuel seven? Okay, and like where were we before this? You talked about tribal judges rule, and now we're switching to central monarchy. Yep. Flesh that out a little bit of what okay. has happened and where we are. Yes. So if you want to understand why, you got to go back to Judges. Got to go back to so Judges. So Judges is the book before Samuel. Yep. Oh, actually, it's Ruth. Right, and then, and which then is Samuel. a very helpful bridge into it's also Samuel. A great, it's a great bridge because it talks about King David. Regardless, during the time of the Judges, largely Israel was a divided nation ruled by tribal leaders. So the tribe of Judah had their leader and they were filled with the Holy Spirit to lead their people and also provide salvation or protection for the larger group of Israel as well. And sometimes they came together and sometimes they were apart, but largely it was scattered, dislocated Mm -hmm. leadership that God blessed for a period of time. At the end of the book of Judges, Israel falls apart under this type of leadership. Like Israel is just insanely debaucherous, depraved. Right. They look just like the land of Canaan. That's right. By the end of Judges, Israel has become Canaan. Mm-hmm. And so much so that when the book of Ruth opens, almost as like a warning for how horrible these times are, it just says, This story happened during the times of the Judges. And you're like, Dun, oh, dun, gosh. dun. Yes. This is bad times. But within the book of Judges, you also have hints about what's going to come in uh, Israel's future. Mm. And that what's going to come in the future is a monarchy, a kingdom. So this is first seen in Judges with uh, Jotham. And he has this long parable about how kings will, that you will get the kings that you deserve. Mm. And the people that want power are the people that you don't want to give power to. Mm. And that kings who want to be kings will end up oppressing you. Oh, interesting. So that's yeah. in uh, the book of Judges. Okay. And then the very ending of the book of Judges, the the kind of overarching narrative for the last section is uh, the, the, the there was no king in Israel. Right. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Which kind of is like, why are you bringing that up? You yeah. know, like if you were yeah. reading it chronologically with no right. eye to the future, it's like, there was no king. I didn't know I was supposed to be expecting a king. Right. Yeah. Some people think that means that like the book of Judges was written to like, uh, validate sure. the kingship, but no, you need a king because Israel's terrible without a king. That's right. I think the point being made there is actually like God was no longer king in Israel because everybody was doing right. what was right in their That's own right. eyes. Yes. Regardless uh, though, yeah. the idea of a king has been floating around mm. since the book of Judges. And even like, there were even like weird laws, like very short, quick laws mm-hmm. in the Torah that uh, in the law of Moses that was like, so if you have a king, here's how he should act. And it's yes. like, a king? When do we start talking about a king? And then it doesn't get picked up again until here. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. So it's floating around. So when you come to the very beginning of First and Second Samuel, you actually don't have the introduction of a king yet. You actually have the introduction of another judge named yep. Eli. Uh-huh. And Eli kind of follows the pattern of a lot of the other terrible judges in the book of Judges. He mm-hmm. Isn't he is filled with the Holy Spirit in order to lead, yep. but his leadership has a whole bunch of problems with he's it. He's very passive. He's very passive, and at one point, his sons are supposed to be guarding the temple um, and people's worship of it. But they end up raping the women who were supposed to be standing at the entrance of the ta- t- temple. And what's interesting about that is that the women who were standing at the entrance of the temple were supposed to be virgins, mm. representing the purity of the people of God yeah. and the fact that Israel was God's 
bride mm. and like the presence of God was coming to his virgin bride and you were experiencing the beauty of like relationship and intimacy with the Lord. And so for Eli's sons to come and rape those women, it is a blasphemy God. towards God. And then Eli does nothing about it, but allows them to keep their position of power. So you have like Whoa. a continuation of the book of Judges yeah. in the opening chapters. Right. Um, but during that time, you also have the... Hannah. Hannah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Hannah's story a little bit? I mean, kind of. I yeah. love Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> I love the character of Hannah. Um, so she um, is barren, which should you should immediately, alarm bell should go yeah. off. And I won't go into too much detail because we'll yeah. pick that up when we go into this yeah. chapter. But um, and but her husband loves her. And every every year when he goes to the temple, he offers an extra sacrifice to God, begging him to like give Hannah a child. And so Hannah doubles down and is like, man, God, if you just gave me a child, I'd dedicate him to you right mm-hmm. from the womb. Yeah. So God answers her prayer and says, okay, I will. Uh, he needs to take the Nazarite vow, uh, right? Yeah. Am I yeah, conflating yeah. I'm, stories? I'm pretty sure that's right. Okay. He's, he's kind of a parallel to Samson, Samson? a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right as well. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, if, I'm, if, if I'm not, I'm naming that, and you can go look it up for yourself. I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, and... Hannah, um, the the uh, the baby is born to her, and his name is Samuel, uh, from which the book derives its name. And um, he is dedicated to the, the temple. That's right, Okay, you you are right. Great, dedicated um, to the temple. Uh, he's dedicated to the temple where Eli where Eli is, is the priest. Yeah. He's leading that, mm-hmm. and so he kind of is put under his care. And but what's most important about Hannah's story for understanding the whole book is the prayer that she prays. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a gorgeous prayer that that she prays and it sets up all these big themes for the whole book. Mm-hmm. And so some of the th- and you can read this for yourself in chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. And um, m- the main theme that uh, she picks up on is that God will be her salvation and God has been her salvation by bringing her a son, mm-hmm. but he's done it because she's humble and weak and lowly. And God is elevating the weak and the lowly and dismantling the proud and the strong. Yes. And that is like a humongous theme for the book of Samuel. Yes. And what that, uh, this goes back to kingship, and what that prayer turns into is the hope of a coming king. Yes. Like there is, within Hannah's prayer about humility, rescue, and deliverance, there is also the hope of a king who would lead God's people. Yes, chapter 2, verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. So like, here's this coming king. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Mm -hmm. So just... To, to frame this for you as you're reading this book, that, that's that's Hebrew parallelism that God is going to be the one who anoints a king. It's yes. his anointed and his king. And David is going to... The word anointed is all throughout the book. Yeah, and yeah. David is going to take very seriously the idea of the king God anoints, which is the idea of God choosing and empowering the king he wants to lead. Yes. And so Hannah is prophesying. This is a, yeah, the yeah. prophet Hannah here yeah, yeah, yeah. prophesying about what God is going to do through a king that does not yet exist in Israel. Yes. She's prophesying. Yes. Okay. And so I, I want to make sure we also name too. It's like we say, what? Why do we need a king? Where are we in the story with regards to king? 
we don't have a king in Judges. Right. We have some negative comments about a king, and then in Hannah we have a hope of a king, and then we have a couple more judges in Eli and Samuel before we even get to kingship. Mm-hmm. But like the reason why kingship is important even here is because it. Um, why is it important here? Oh, <laughs> I, yeah. I, was like, I got lost in my own thoughts. Like <laughs> even in this series, what it ends up showing, um, what ends up happening is that the desire for a king. Is this the right way to go? The desire for a king is even perverted. It is. Like, so yes. like, there's all these problems with the system of judges. Mm-hmm. It does fail Israel. God is no longer their king. Mm-hmm. There's a hope for a messianic king or some t- sort of king. Mm-hmm. But then as the kingship draws closer through the lives of Eli and Samuel, the people's motives for wanting a king also become perverted. Right. So I think a, a way to bridge into this yeah. is because uh, we're getting nearer and nearer to 1 Samuel 8. Right mm-hmm. where they ask for a king, but yeah. there's something that happens in the in the early life of Samuel that sets up the the other category we need here to understand okay. what all yeah, Samuel's I, doing. I kind of feel like lost between judges. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I think and there's a bridge here, and the bridge is this: that the reason why there's no king in Israel, and the reason why that is theologically speaking about the fact that God is not really even reigning over Israel as king actively because they're just in sin and virgin mm-hmm. Israel is being raped and like yeah. all this horrible stuff is happening um, is because of a, of a key statement that is in the opening of Samuel and it's that the voice of the Lord was seldom heard in the land. That no one was listening to God. Like mm-hmm. God, right, in order right, for a right. king to reign, you have to hear his voice. You have to know what he's directing you to do. You have to mm-hmm. know his will. I never thought about that as like a parallel to what's being said in the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel mm-hmm. and when it was right in their own eyes. And then you have the voice of the Lord wasn't heard. That's yeah. a symbol that God as king is not reigning in Israel right. right now. But Samuel comes, and as a boy, he's in the the he's in the tabernacle with Eli, mm. and what does he hear? The voice of God. Yes. And he's like, I don't know what this is. And he says, because he wasn't familiar with the voice of the Lord yet. He didn't yeah. know who this was. He didn't know there was a king over Israel, you yeah. know? And, and so Samuel ends up learning to listen to the voice of God, and he becomes the new judge of Israel. Right. Right. With embedded in him the the hope that God is now king again That's right. over Israel. Yeah. The, Israel's hearing the voice of the Lord. So all this is happening. He's leading Israel. There's reform happening. Good things are happening. And um at, but but the problem is as Samuel gets uh up in age, his sons seem like they're going to repeat the bad cycles of judges. Right? Because his sons stink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his sons don't yeah. listen to the voice of the Lord. And they are bad, wicked, corruptible judges. Yeah. And so Israel's he like ends up like delegating power to That's them right, to or, his to yeah. his sons as he's yeah. getting older and they stink at it. And so what Israel does is they basically say, We're sick of this judges pattern. It doesn't work. Right. Right? Everyone is is leading us horribly, and that's when they demand a king. Yes. And so there's there's this tension that's happening between um, we need a ruler who can listen to the voice of God mm-hmm. and carry out his will in order to be led under the reign of God. Yeah. But that continues to fail because people stop listening to the voice of God. Right. And so they think that the idea is, well, then forget it. Let's just do kingdoms, not Yahweh's way, not God's way. Right. Let's do this our so, way. So another way to say that, it's like they had like, they had a theological problem mm-hmm. and they try to fix it with a political solution. That's right. Got yep, it. that's right. Okay. So God was trying to reign over them by speaking and leading and establishing judges, and but the judges weren't listening. They were sinful. They were proud. They wouldn't humble themselves. They the wouldn't people obey. People were proud. They do whatever they wanted that's to right. do. That's yeah. right. And so like, you know, forget it. 
let's just do what all the other nations do and let's just get ourselves a king and let him go to war for us. Let him speak to us. Let him give us his rules. Let him give us his decrees. And so Samuel takes this to God and says, this is what the people are asking for. And God says, they've not denied you, Samuel, as judge. Because Samuel was like, you shouldn't be asking for a king. That's right. right. He was like, against it. And so and so he goes to God to complain. He, he recognized what they were doing. And like, no, no, no. You're, the, you're, the, so, you're, you're, the solution for Israel is to listen to the Lord, not to listen to a king. That's right. Yeah. And so God says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, as a judge, right? They're rejecting me. And so mm. God sees Israel's request for a political king as a rejection of his reign. They don't want to listen to him anymore. They don't want God to be king. And so, but what's interesting is, and what's so gracious yeah. and benevolent about God is he goes, but I'm going to work through it. Yeah. Like, and, and he, but he gives them some warnings. Yep. He says, okay, you're going to get a king, but let me tell you, he's going to be the king you deserve. Right. Just like Jotham predicted in the book of Judges. Exactly it's like right. The people who want those positions of power will normally lord it over you. Yep. God warns Israel that the, their first king is not going to go well. They're going to tax you. They're going to they're going to mm-hmm. enslave your children. They're going to draft them into his army, and they're yeah. going to use they're going to use them to build monuments to himself. He'll and all this happens later. To be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll <laughs> take the best of your fields and your vineyards. He'll take a tenth of your grain. He'll take your male servants and your female yep. servants. He'll take the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. Yep. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Yeah, so God, what God does here is he is saying, okay, let me work within your bad request for a king to show you the kind of king that I am and the kind of king that I am pleased to work with. And we and how he does that is through anointing two different kings, one after another, to show two different types of of rulers. One, the first one is proud and sinful and does not listen to the voice of the Lord and his kingdom fails. That's Saul. Yep. The second one is King David, who is unsuspecting. He's he's the least of the person he's that the you youngest would, of yeah, his he's the tribe. youngest of his tribe and he is selected and he's humble, he listens to the voice of the Lord and his kingdom grows ultimately climaxing in Second Samuel 7, where not only is it a one-time kingdom, he's promised an eternal kingdom. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But like, so God is saying like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what you're really asking for. Right. Through two people. Here's what you think you're asking for. Let me give you Saul, and yeah. it's not going to go well for you. Right. Then let me give you what you actually need, which is a humble king who listens to my voice and will actually usher in my reign and rule and kingdom. And that's going to be seen through okay. King David. So there's a lot that you just said. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I was over, I've studied this for a while. And I was overwhelmed by everything you're saying. But I think what's the, one of the most important things you pointed out was the difference between the kingdom of Israel uh-huh. and the reign of God. Super important. Um, I, I, thought, I thought it was like really helpful distinction. So let's maybe talk about that a little bit more. Right. So what's happening in the kingdom of Israel is not necessarily a perfect representation of the reign of God over his people. Absolutely. Or like the heavenly kingdom that God plans for his people. That's right. And God is using the earthly kingdom of Israel to prove the point that the heavenly kingdom and the heavenly king is the one that Israel should desire and hope for. That's right. Okay. Yes. So God is... Which king. is why yeah. then Second Samuel 7 is talking about an eternal kingdom. That's right. Not a... And, and that... It, that's, so an eternal kingdom is pointing what? Not back to like... An earthly king. An earthly king, but the only yeah. kingdom that can last forever is... God. Is God. God as king. Right. Yes. So that's what happened. At the, at the opening of the book, really, there's still an underlying assumption that God is king. Right. And that his voice isn't heard. 
and so things are going poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they say, forget it, let's usurp that, and let's have our own king. And God says, okay, that's not good, but I'm going to work in it to show you my salvation yeah. and to show you that I still need to be king. And so yeah. what you have here, you have an, you have an earthly political system mm-hmm. that is sometimes representing the heavenly reign of God, mm-hmm. his will, his character, the, the things he wants to accomplish in the world. When we say God's reign in heaven, we're talking about um, what God wants to happen in the world. Yeah. Uh, and so are you going to submit to what God wants on earth, in the earthly kingdoms, or not? Yeah. And insofar as you do, you're syncing up with yeah. God's reign. You're you're bowing the knee yeah, 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 to yeah. God's God on the throne. Yeah, yeah. And so um, what Saul does is he shows that earthly kings who reject the reign of God and listening to his voice fail, mm-hmm. but kings who do listen to yeah. the heavenly voice of God and stand under his reign succeed. Right. And so in the Old Testament... We, you said there's laws about kings there, mm-hmm. but that's really functionally what is the kingdom reign of God versus the kingdom of men. It's like, and how does an earthly king sync up with mm-hmm. the reign of God? It's by obeying the law. Right. A king, yeah, in Deuteronomy, the king is told to make his own copy of the Torah and read it constantly. Yeah. And then when even like the rabbi, the ancient rabbis, but Jesus has arrived, I said the law can be summed up in two phrases love God mm-hmm. and love your neighbor. Um, and really, though, the heart behind even obeying those commands are prideful self-reliance mm. and humility before the Lord and his reign and his laws. So what the, the primary engine throughout the rest of this book, then, that moves the plot forward is whether or not a king will humble himself before the law of God. That's right. Um, Saul does not. He's proud. He's proud. And David, uh, and he pays the consequences right. for it. David does humble himself before God's law, and he is elevated until... Right, and we'll talk about his un- fall. Until he is But that's fall. still a helpful yeah. dichotomy to, to, to build here, and the and and why it breaks is also important. Yeah. But the the, the idealized version right. is also so important. So I, I think I want to close the loop on what I, what I think what we're saying then is like the idea, the relationship between the, the God's reign... Mm-hmm and an earthly kingdom Mm -hmm. is bound up in the ideas of pride and humility. Exactly right. And the king himself is supposed to be the paragon of humility. Mm -hmm. And when he's the paragon of humility, the reign of God comes to earth. earth. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And when he's not, it doesn't. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly right. Um, Okay. Let's, there's other things I want to build out there, but let's give our listeners five seconds. Ear break. To, to stop listening to our voices, and we'll finish talking about Samuel. Okay, so one of the other thing, major themes throughout mm-hmm. the book of Samuel, besides the reign of God, besides the earthly kingdom, uh, besides the idea of a king itself, is the idea of a prophet— or yes. like listening to the voice of God. Right. So like, it starts off where God's voice isn't heard. The book starts off with God's voice being heard. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. And you have throughout the narrative yes. all these moments where prophets just pop up out of nowhere. Everywhere. And yeah. they will rebuke and correct the king. So Nathan rebuking and correcting David. There's a prophet from Gad that comes Mm -hmm. and rebukes David for the census. Even Uh, think about the beginning. When when do you meet Saul? 
he's looking for a lost animal that ran yeah. away from his dad. Mm-hmm. And what is? how does he go about finding it? He goes to a prophet. He goes to, to a prophet. A to be like, Surely, yeah. I'll ask a prophet. God knows where the animal went. I'll yeah. go ask the prophet to ask God to tell me where the animal is. It's like, yes. so like, I want to, I want I, I, I don't need to use this word, yeah. but I like it. Um, and it's, it's, the, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast before, if you are a hardcore listener, hardcore. um, that the, the, the way that people used to view the world before the enlightenment <laughs> was porous. Yes. It had holes in it. <laughs> right. The spirit world and the physical world were like, could communicate with each other. That's right. They, yeah. they, it was like a sponge yep. they could pass through. It was, uh, permeable yes right and so when you it feels like sometimes you're reading this book and it's a history book and then all of a sudden there's the spirit the holy spirit comes or an evil spirit comes or a prophet speaks or a man is raised from the dead and it's just like it's a lot of spirit and kind of uniquely up to this point in the bible because in you kind of in the torah you have god acting directly and you kind of expect god and he works through moses yes it's like god sent a pillar of cloud well that makes sense he's god yeah <laughs> um and then in joshua it's all military conquest yep. in judges you do have a little bit more porousness in the fact that like you have these individual leaders being filled with the holy spirit or seized by the holy spirit and leading but again like all that's like concentrated in mm. a particular person and then or in a in a military campaign yeah. what you're saying first samuel which is really unique and then in ruth god's barely mentioned totally and so but here explosion on the scene yes. of prophets, spirituality, uh, witches, yes. necromancy. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. there's just a lot more spiritual energy in yeah. the book of First Samuel. And so what you want to, the point we want to make out of that is really the point the book makes first, the voice of the Lord was not heard, mm-hmm. followed by a whole bunch of times God speaking through Samuel. Yes. God speaking to Samuel, God right. speaking through prophets, God correcting the kings, God punishing the kings through his voice. Yes. And so the the, the the fine point to make about that is this, that the kingdom of God comes through the the, the communication of his voice. Through a... Through his presence. Yes, 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 yes. Right? Through his presence, through his voice, through his will, through him being known, through his will being known, his voice being heard. That's how the kingdom of God comes. When a humble king, when a king humbles himself before the word of God, the words of the of a God through a prophet, yes. God's heavenly reign comes to the earth. That's right. Okay. Yes, that's right. Because, and, and let's make this really simple, because what God says happens. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. God says, I want this to happen. And the humble person hears and says, okay, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And they do it. And so God's reign as the king sitting on the throne who says, go do this, mm-hmm. occurs. Yeah. It happens. And so that's why God's voice and presence among his people and God's kingdom are inexecor- are, are, are linked. What's the word I was trying to say there? Inexe- inexorably. Inexorably linked. Inexorably. Yes. Uh, and so that, I think that's very important, it's especially really, as we start leaning towards the New Testament and, and the day of Pentecost. That's think all about very important. As a, like a, l- a little bit of a side and jumping into the wisdom literature. So the wisdom literature was written by kings. Oh, yeah, Solomon, in, the, in the tradition of the kings. In the tradition of the kings. That's right. Solomon was David's son. Yep. King Lemuel, King Agar at the end. Like, yeah. It's, these are kings. Or even Job, he's this massively wealthy man yeah. in a society that didn't have kings, but he was the closest thing he got, could get yep. to one. So you have these kings, and what is the primary message that the 
the, the wisdom literature preaches is that when you humble yourself before the commands of the Lord, when you fear the king, fear the Lord, it will go well with you. Yep. Like that's, it's like, yep. So like, this is like the proto wisdom of the Bible. Like this is wisdom being played out in political time. And then the Kings reflect on that and say, what's the, what's the heart of wisdom? Humbling yourself before the Lord. They got the point of Samuel Yes, because <laughs> they lived it. Yes. They, they lived saw it. what happened with Saul and yeah. what happened with David. And then Solomon learned from it and wrote about it. Yes. That is a good observation, my dear friend, Seth. That's what you pay me for. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pay you. Our dear, dear fans do. You guys do. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so that's really helpful. Um, I feel like we have some categories here that we should close off before jumping to rising and falling and mm-hmm. pride and humility, like maybe a little bit more, and the Davidic covenant. And Oh, yeah, we haven't got the Davidic yeah, covenant yet. So, but let's close some loops. Yeah. I think we have some open things that we could talk about the gospel from that we should yes. just do. Um, so the first thing I, and we don't have to go in order, but like the first thing I'm just, I'm just on the tip of my tongue. I want to talk about is there's this, you know, Jesus brings the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist is proclaiming that, that the, that the king is coming, that the kingdom is coming. Jesus, it's the first, his first message is the kingdom of God is near. Here it is. Um, and Jesus sums up his own ministry, says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Is at hand. Here it is. And what, and like. So like God is being present with His people to bring His kingdom. He's speaking, like you know, He's mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. what does John the Baptist say? He he talks about the Spirit of God that will come, like yeah. the like like it did back in Samuel. Yeah. Like John is expecting um, a return of the Spirit of God to bring the kingdom of God because that's how it works. Yeah. And so like let me just fast forward because we'll go back to some other things. Let me fast forward to Acts two, and yeah. like. The, the, how does the kingdom of God come on earth? Your 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 young women will dream dreams, and your old men will prophesy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the whole That's church sick. will hear from the Lord, yeah, <laughs> because we'll be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and so we will hear from the King, right? Right. And so we submit to the reign of the King, and He tells us what to do. We listen to the Holy Spirit, we listen to His Word, mm-hmm. and we go to the left or to the right based on what He says. And so the kingdom of God, His reign and rule, act in the world as we say yes to his kingly commands. Hmm. So that's how the kingdom of God is moving in the world is because you have people inhabited by the king obeying his decrees. Yes. So this that's the kingdom of God. It, yeah, yeah. That, the kingdom of God is coming to earth because you have people listening to God. Yes. And then, I mean, then Jesus <laughs> yeah. is the most paramount example yes. of that. So like Eli was spoken to, by the spirit of God saying, come to me. You had this God himself landing in the form of a dove and mm. proclaiming from the heavens, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You have a literal porous heaven yep. coming down, s- proclaiming who this person is. And then you have Jesus as a son of David, mm-hmm. as a son of the king, humbling himself before the law of God, mm. everything the father I see the Father doing, I do. Everything John five, he yeah. says, I do. I don't do anything that I don't see my Father doing. That's right. A humble man who's perfectly in tune with the reign of God, mm-hmm. living it out on earth, who humbles himself even when the divine, the heavenly rule decrees death for right. him. Yep. And through his humble act of obeying the kingdom, the, the, the heavenly mm-hmm. heaven, decree, the heavenly decree, 
He brings his kingdom to earth for all people. That's right. So all people can have the spirit spoken over them, calling out to them, like uh, the bearing witness that they are sons of God, right. just like God did for Jesus at the, the Jordan River. They're prophesying. The world becomes permeable again yep. when the kingdom of God comes through the humble listening of Jesus the King. Right. And so like, yeah, and he does, yeah, he does it perfectly and then invites us into that same pattern mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where we now have the ability and like joy of being a humble listener to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. To the King. Like that there's a King now that we have transferred kingdoms like the the new testament talks about how he brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his wonderful light like whenever you become a christian your allegiances transfer and your king changes and you can call it depending on where you're listening from that could be a prime minister it could be a king it could be a president that that changes whenever you submit to king jesus Mm -hmm. and he is now your king yeah. You abide by the law, the laws of His land, yeah. and you are guided by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to live that out in the world. It kind of makes me totally rethink the Beatitudes. Okay, like um, I was like, oh, these are cool countercultural ways to live. <laughs> okay, but it's like, what does this say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yep. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek, they will inherit the earth. It's like Hannah's prayer at the opening of Samuel. Yes. <laughs> it's like those who humble themselves yeah. are going to be exalted. Are going to be exalted. And whether that's by your own circumstance, mm-hmm. like but whether that's that you're an oppressed minority, whether that's you're like you're just like you're just you know like yep. you are in a better position mm-hmm. to experience the exaltation of the kingdom of heaven because you've been humbled by your circumstances. And when you humble yourself before the Lord, you sync up with his divine kingdom right. and you reign with Jesus. And why is humility, a uh, why does being humble and mourning and being meek lead to being exalted and inheriting the earth? And like, you know, like why yeah, yeah, do those yeah. things go together? It's because when you're humble, you, you your, your ear is bent to the king of the universe, mm-hmm. right? And so though your circumstance might not change immediately, you are now in the service of the king. Mm, like you have right, now right, right, right. entered into a, f- a divine, powerful realm, and right. you are working, you're the right-hand man of the king of the universe. Yeah. And like that's how, that's how immediate yep. exaltation can take place. Mourning can seem pointless right. unless it's the king telling you to mourn yeah. or the king baptizing you to mourn. Say, no, no, that mourning is for my kingdom purposes. Mm-hmm. It transforms our moments of humility into like divine assignments right then kingly assignments kingly assignments and so it transforms people who are oppressed into the very agents of the kingdom of god that's right it's dignified yeah yeah you go from being a slave to being an ambassador yes yeah to being a prince Mm, yeah i mean i've never read the beatitudes that way before Mm, yeah it's beautiful yeah um okay let's go back now okay do you feel like we can go back let's go back okay let's go back and there's two more big, big, big things we need to talk about. Um, oh, and just to close the loop on the Hannah Beatitudes, yeah. com- just I just as a helpful extra handhold for everybody, that Hannah's prayer gets repeated two more times. I just want to name it uh, as a just to double down on how it's a main theme. Um, also in Second Samuel one, David laments over the death of Saul. You might have heard the the like the idiom, right? The like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. That's from Samuel. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and that is like the mighty fall. Wait, what? 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like, I mean, and I said we weren't going to talk about it, but David and Goliath, the mighty fall. Right. Right. And the weak win. That's a that's what's going on there. It's like a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing. Yeah. And then at the end of the book, um, in chapters twenty-two to, to the first part of twenty-three, you hear David's long prayer, um, which is is it Psalm eighteen? It is. Yeah. yeah it's Psalm eighteen. Yeah, it's Psalm eighteen. And it's here. And it's and um and this is this is David's kind of Hannah prayer two It hits yeah. all the same marks as Hannah's opening prayer does, but it just expands it in light of everything that's happened in Israel since yeah. his reign started. And so it begins and ends with a prayer that praises God for destroying the proud and strong and exalting the humble and weak. Mm-hmm. So like that is what's going on in Samuel. So yes. I just think it's really helpful. It's really helpful. Okay, last little bit of text two. to cover, even though there's so much left uncovered. Yes. Uh, two things I want to talk about. Second Samuel seven. Second Samuel seven. The 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 Davidic covenant. Yeah, it's David's one of the covenant. Central moments right. in the entire Bible. If you were only going to read like twelve verses. Like 12 chapters, chapters of scripture, this would be one of them. It would have to be one of them. Yes. It's or like you, Genesis yes. 12, yes. and this one would be up there. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Genesis 12, God's covenant. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Abraham 12 with the with Abraham's covenant, you'd need to read like Exodus 19 and 20 with the Mosaic covenant, and then you'd need to read 2 Samuel 7 and David's covenant. Yes. These are huge moments. A really big moment. In the Bible. And what happens here is that based on David's humility... Mm-hmm. Because of David's humility, his willingness to, to, to bend his ear towards the voice of God, God promises him that he will turn his um, name into like an eternal dynasty. Right. His, his, the, the family of David will extend into eternity, and the rule of the Davidic house will extend forever. There will always be a king of David on the throne. Yes. Always, but not just until the sun burns up the earth. Forever. Forever. Eternally is the promise. Now, the circumstances of the promise are just funny. I just want to bring it up. Name it. Because I just like it. Um, So David um, is lamenting over the fact that he lives in a big fancy house as king Mm -hmm. and God's ark is out in the cold. Yes. And so he's like, God, I'm going to build a house for you. Isn't that great? And then God responds. He says, I don't need you to build me a house. Instead, I'm going to make you into a house. Yeah. And I just think it's awesome. <laughs> it's great. I it's, just love that. It's beautiful. And God's like, I don't need you. You need me. Yeah. And um, he, it, kind of in like a um, a repeat of 1 Samuel 8 when they asked for a king and then God co-ops that to do his actual purpose. Yes, yes, Same yes. thing. I'm going to build you a house. No, I'm going to build you a house. It's just, yeah. I love that. And so, yeah, there's this promise. Uh, but David won't be the eternal king himself. He's a man of war. Yeah, we're, he, we're told he can't do it because yep. he's a man of war. He's a man of war. Uh, instead, he says, but your son will. Yes. And so, like, as a reader, you kind of hope and expect that's Absalom. His next son. His next son. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for just to land, let's just stay in second Samuel yeah, 7 I, for I a do, moment. Yeah, I want to do that too. Um, what ends up happening, though, is that it becomes pretty clear after, you read this book of Second Samuel that like that promise that God makes to David isn't about an earthly person. It's about the Messiah. It's right. like, it's about the the one sent from God 
who will establish his divine rule, his royal rule on the earth forever. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the actual expectation. Not a mediated version of it, but the actual version of it. That's right. right. Yes. And I mean there's just a few things to like think about when we think about this covenant that he made to him. Like we talked about how he will build a house that will stand forever. Mm-hmm. Um, he will be to God a son, right? He says yep. in verse 14 of chapter 7, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So we're talking about a son of God who will rule forever on a throne, um, and, uh, and, uh, and he'll have an eternal kingdom that lasts forever. Um, and he'll come from the line of David. Like, yeah. um, uh, so before we jump to it being messianic, why would Second Samuel seven just be a breath of fresh air to a Jew reading this? One final promise before you answer, ask me that question. Oh, okay. The promise: He shall build a house for my name, uh-huh. and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. He's also promising a temple. Like he's also promising that he'll dwell there. His presence will dwell there permanently yes so the your question though my question is like why why is a why is an eternal king good news for israel right now well think about what david did he ushered in an era of wealth Mm -hmm. peace Mm -hmm. and stability for a nation that had historically been either enslaved or ruled by chaotic tribes Mm. so like you're at this moment in history where Israel has never had it so good. Like, yes, right? And, yeah, and when they do, it's always followed by another fall. Yes. And so it's like, we're at the top and we're going to stay at the top forever? Yes. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. this this kingdom will keep going? We're here. We made it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's why it's That good. feels like real good news. It's, it's like, this, like, this will only get bigger. This mm-hmm. will only get better. That's mm-hmm. why it's good news. What's happening now will continue on to eternity as long as the king humbly bends his ear right. to the decrees of God. Yes, and that's how David responds mm-hmm. after God gives him this promise. He falls to his face. He's like, who am I that you would do this kindness to me? Yeah. You know, and he continues to show his humility. Yeah. But, but, uh, well, one, one, more, <laughs> one little, more thing. Okay. One more thing before There's we go my to tentative, the but. My tentative uh, but. But we should also just recognize what's this doing in like the biblical story. Okay. So we already mentioned the Abrahamic covenant and the covenant God made with oh, Moses. yes. And now this is the covenant with David. So this, there's moments throughout Scripture where God kind of descends and progresses his promise into a new era. Yes. So with Abraham, he promised that his family would would fill the earth and all the world would be blessed through his family. Yeah, dwelling in Canaan. Dwelling in Canaan. And then he would, and by by them going and taking the land and filling up Canaan. They would be a blessing to all nations. That's yes. the that's Abraham's covenant that God was going to bless the whole world mm-hmm. through the person of Abraham and his family as they take over yes. the land of Canaan and a new Garden of Eden. And with Moses, he essentially uh, reaffirms that same covenant, but by including the entire people of Israel. So right. it's not just. Abraham's family. It's all of Israel, which are descendants of Abraham. Yes, that's right. But it's and what happens also in the law of, in, the, in the Mosaic covenant, Moses's covenant, is God shows them how they will be a blessing to all nations. So it's like you'll be a blessing to all nations. How? Oh, by by following the law, by yeah. listening to me, 
you'll love your neighbor and love me and you'll do justice and like you'll be you'll be reversing the effects of the curse yes you you'll stop sinning and that will bless the world <laughs> like yes. and so abraham you'll be a blessing to all nations moses how by obeying my law right david right. but what happens if you don't obey the law is that what's right. happening next well, <laughs> well i think so it's like here's what happens when you obey the law and then what happens they deny God as their king. Mm-hmm. God no longer reigns over Israel. So the institution of the kingship is supposed to teach them that God will re- reign forever as their king. Like mm. the human king points to his eternal kingship, right? Like yep. what the, So the development that's happening in David's covenant is the idea that it's not just a family. It's not just a nation and a code of laws. It's a divine kingship, mm-hmm. like a divine monarchy like a divine i mean totalitarian has all sorts of like bad connotations yes. but like there is a divine ruler mm-hmm. who is also promised to rule forever yeah. from this from another family yep. so i think that's the way it's like developing right like well i mean i mean there, there's something so i think we, we could think about it that way for sure and i think it's it's right i just would want to go back to the moses covenant and build something else out and even go back just a little bit further so let's build out the covenants based on kingship Okay. Okay. So um, there is um, a, a really, I think, reliable um, like strand of scholarship about um, the Garden of Eden that talks about um, uh, Adam and Eve reigning as kings. Yeah, kings and queens in the garden. They're the image of God. They're the image of God. They're given land and they're given rules and they're mm-hmm. supposed to subdue the earth and fill it. Mm-hmm. Who else subdues a territory but a king? Right. So like you have in the beginning a king and a queen ruling over the earth. Yep. That was the idea. And then they were mankind was subdued by sin, and there was a new king in the land, mm-hmm. and it was sin. It was beating us down. We were killing each other. We've lost control. And God says, I'm going to raise up um, a people out of this, the people of Abraham, mm-hmm. and they are going to rule again, and they're going to bless all nations. Mm-hmm. What, what blesses all nations? Oh, a benevolent king who takes land back over from the reign of sin yep. and extends his scepter of blessing over them, Yes. right? And then God says, how is that going to be possible, though, in the Moses covenant? He says, I will actually be your God, and you will be my people. I will reign over you. Here's my law command. And yep. that law command, the Moses law, actually is a form of other, is like a, a is patterned off of other laws that, earthly kings would write in that time, right, these right, 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 suzerain right. vassal treaties. Yeah. Uh, there's like this Assyrian law code. And it's an expression of kingship. It's an expression of kingship. Only kings write laws Only like kings that. can write the Mosaic law. Right. And so God ex- exercises his role as the divine king and builds out the, the Mosaic covenant. And then he comes in, in the Davidic covenant uh, here in Samuel and says, and I will be your king forever. Hmm. Yeah. And it will be through the line of David that I rule forever. Yeah. So like I think yeah. that's like the straight line maybe that's of really, kingship really covenant that's been building. Yeah, it's like all the covenants are about kingship mm-hmm. in one sense. Yep. Um, you could like argue like there's a progression from an individual to a kingdom. Oh yeah. Which is one way to do it. But like they're all forms of kings. They're yes. all kings. And now we know the kingship, God's kingship will last forever. Yes. And let's not forget since we brought up the Garden of Eden, what is what is all this aiming at? Right. Yep. We're aiming at getting back to God's original intent for the world. Which, which was to have people humbly listening to the rules of God to rule this earth in his presence, yeah. to fill the earth and subdue it while humbly listening to the word of the Lord that says, eat from every, right. any tree you want except that one. You know, right. like that's which, what's happening. So what that ends up meaning then 
is that as we fast forward to the New Testament, mm-hmm. so not only is Jesus our our king, we are kings and queens in his kingdom, or as well. Like oh yes, the New Testament, we are called co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs, like yeah. So we are princes, princes, and, and princesses, and princesses in this divine kingdom. It's the best fairy tale that's become true. And God's presence which was in the Ark of the Covenant, which David wanted to build, which Solomon eventually built, is placed inside of us so that we can listen to his divine content. We are now his house. We are now his house, and we move throughout the world to establish outposts of his kingdom to bring the peace, prosperity, wealth, and salvation that David brought to Israel. Exactly right. Exactly right. We are seeing... Israel spread across the world. We are seeing the Garden of Eden spread. We are fulfilling Abraham's covenant to be a blessing to all nations by living under the kingly rule of God, by following the Holy Spirit, by inhabiting the heart of the Mosaic covenant to love God and love others. Paul says we are made new creations, and then as new creations, we become kings who make new creation in the world as we go out into it. That's right. Yep. That's That's right. What that does is not only give... That's good news because it gives me hope, mm-hmm. right? That's like I think normally when we talk about like the, the good news, the gospel turn, whatever, it's like, isn't Jesus awesome? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he is awesome. But like there is good news in the fact that there's hope. Yeah. And like the fact that we've been imbued with the traveling presence of God, mm. that his home is within us, and then as we go into the world, we actually extend the Garden of Eden again. That's like... With the authority of kings. With the authority of kings, like even if it doesn't feel that way, which is why we have the Holy Spirit to remind Mm -hmm. us that we've been called sons of God, (laughs) the sons of the king. Yes. It's like, that tells me like my actions in the world, as I listen to the Holy Spirit, are not minor. Mm -hmm. They're not Mm -hmm. uh, just ritual. They're political and spiritual actions. (laughs) that, That affect change yeah like who can stand up against god's kingdom right and god's prince and god's princess no one right this is why the demons flee it's like yeah. that's why i love the like the scenes in narnia where the high king peter shows up and everybody freaks out mm-hmm. you know because it's just like he's just even though he's just a kid he's a kid yeah but he's imbued with this authority from aslan that he's high king peter right and people listen to him like i just love those moments in narnia yeah and so like i i love just like kind of like pausing like that's what i that's the effect of the gospel in me as i Mm. live my life as a neighbor in my neighborhood exactly like that is incredibly good news when everything in my world tells me i have no control that's right like and that you're (laughs) and that like what you're doing doesn't matter yes yes or that you're are even making the right choices or yeah you know so many lies come against us and that just provides a lot of hope and purpose and meaning. Yeah. Yeah, and solidity. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Okay. But strangely, right after this promise, not long after this promise that David's kingdom will last forever, we're on a high. Israel's going to crush it. We're going to cover the face of the earth. The, the humble king uh-huh. radically breaks God's law. Yep. Uh, three chap- four chapters later, uh, yep. he sees a... Old bath. Sheba. Sheba. <laughs> I've not heard that joke before. Never? I've what? I've never heard that joke what? before. <laughs> I haven't. You're kidding. I've never heard that joke before. You're joking. I've never heard I that. will never believe that in a million <laughs> years. I've no matter never... how many times you tell me you've never heard the pun, <laughs> Bath Sheba. I've never heard that before. 
Well, there it is. Well, there it is. Um, yeah. So it's the oldest, oldest Christian joke in the book. That's amazing. There I'm it is. I'm so glad I missed out on that part of Christian <laughs> subculture. You guys got to uh, experience Seth hearing the joke Bathsheba uh, like taking I, a bath for the first time. When I finally like, watched that O.J. Simpson documentary, uh-huh. like, I didn't know. Oh, because you weren't around. I wasn't around. You were I was in I was, Scotland? Or, yeah. And yeah. so I had never, I didn't know the outcome. Right. I didn't know. If oh, was, yeah. You were like, <laughs> I don't know if he's guilty or innocent. <laughs> As I was watching, I was like, I've never heard this story before. That this is, is fascinating. So funny. Is this based on a real story? It is? What? what? I thought this was well, fake. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Okay. So Bathsheba, we'll get into the details of it later. Suffice it to say, she's in the middle of cleaning herself after like like uh, doing like following the law by cleaning herself after her time of, of uh impurity. Yeah. So she's obeying the law, right? And David yeah. disobeys the law and covets her, lusts yeah. after her. And uh, rapes her. Uh, y- yeah, there's actually a lot of arguments about yes. whether or not it's rape or not. I know, but he uses his kingly authority to assassinate her husband. Yeah, um, and then take her into his house. Yeah, and get her pregnant. Yeah. So it sounds like I mean, it's it's the abuse of power in the highest degree. Let's call a spade a spade. It's, 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 it's rape. Yeah, uh, and so like it's horrendous, and uh, he's and it's and, and it's horrendously punished Mm -hmm. like the son that is born out of that that sin is killed yeah and it it introduces a new theme in the book of samuel Mm. at that moment um is that the sin of the leader or just the sin of one trickles down and affects the whole nation right and it's seen like at the loss of david's son but it's also seen in the relationship he has with all of his other sons and all of bathsheba's relatives so his uh, so David has these other sons Absalom his daughters Tamar mm-hmm. uh, he has a, another son named Amnon yeah and Amnon ends up raping his sister yep David having uh, lost the moral high ground for having slept with somebody that wasn't his wife doesn't do anything about right. it his son Absalom gets rightfully angry that his father has done nothing nurses a grudge over several years eventually exacting revenge on Amnon and then starting a civil war in Israel against his dad against his dad recruiting Bathsheba's father and grandfather as his leaders yep so like David's sin trickles down and infects the whole nation um yep and, and then David's deposed and David's deposed and it's like and what's interesting is his son takes the throne is this a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is this what God's you, king will look like forever. And it's like, yeah. uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, uh, his son ends up dying in a forest, mm-hmm. and he weeps over over his son like he weeped over the death of Saul. He takes the throne again, and uh, the, the book ends um, in a strange fashion, for especially for um, modern readers. It ends with a chiasm, okay. right? Um, where the central point of the last, what, uh, four, five chapters, 21 to 24, yeah. forms a chiasm. And the center point of the book is David's hymn, which echoes Hannah's, Hannah's, prayer. Hannah's prayer, which we've already talked about. Right. Um, and but, that's the center of it, that God and his promise are still held out to David. It offers some hope. Yeah. But it ends, the book actually ends, ends, ends with um, David disobeying God. He Just he, like... Just it ended with dis- pride, proud, proudfully disobeying the in sin this, of presumption. In the same way that King Saul presumed to offer sacrifices when he was not supposed to, and proved himself to be a and proud, that's when God removed him. Yep, 
David has a similar moment of pride and presumption when he takes the census mm-hmm. of Israel. Yep. Um, and the book ends with the pride and the failure of the divi- of the of the of the dynasty of yep. David. And you're kind of left on a question mark. Yeah, a prophet comes to David and says, hey, um, you have to pay for this. God is going to send punishment. Pick your poison. Which way do you want to be punished? And the way David chooses is that a plague breaks Mm -hmm. out over the whole land of Mm -hmm. Israel. And so many people die because of David's sin. And so, again, we have the mistakes of the the king... Mm -hmm trickling down to create mm-hmm. devastating effects for the entire kingdom. Yeah, and what's interesting about the fact that there's a plague at the very end is that in Solomon's leadership, this 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 same idea of God's judgment against the kings will like be developed. Mm. Um, and in the beginning of the first and second kings, that judgment or that what ends up happening is the kingdom of Israel ends up looking a lot like the kingdom of Egypt. Yes. In the same way that in the book of Judges, Israel looked a lot like Canaan. In Solomon, they start looking more like Egypt. They'll start looking more like Egypt. So the fact that that's front-loaded with a plague coming against Israel is preparing you for a repetition. It's like we're walking backwards through Exodus. Yes. Through the plagues back to Egypt. It's like a giant chiasm. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. But Uh, the point you were making is that the sin of David trickles down to the entire, to the entire nation. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so, but like, the, the the amazing thing then about King Jesus is right? that his righteousness trickles down to all who follow him. That's right. Not just in the individual actions. So that's mm-hmm. what's really unique about David. It's not just like David sins, therefore a plague hits all of Israel. It's that. They have ripple effects that Amnon rightfully has a grudge against his father. It's that his passivity meant that Amnon could get away with raping his sister without any consequences. It's like that that ripple effect. It's a butterfly effect. It's a butterfly effect. Happens in King Jesus, but the opposite way. There's a ripple effect of righteousness where we become increasingly more like Jesus. I see what you're saying. Not Not only does Jesus dying for our sins trickle down grace to us. All people who put their faith in him. Right. His one act... All of us get obedience. Right, go read Romans 5. Yes. That's where this is. Uh, but also, because Jesus and his death on the cross is the center point of history, the whole world has been changed in the way we see things, the way hospitals and education yeah. and how we treat one another and yes. the, the equal dignity of human life all started in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes. Like, <laughs> so there's these trickle effects yeah. throughout human history from that moment when the divine king leads... And then we become more and more like him as we permeate society. Yeah. Uh, and just like this kingdom, we also have a whole bunch of bad, bad mixed in. Yeah. We're just like King David. But the point is, the good king, Jesus, trickles down his righteousness and goodness throughout the society mm-hmm. in the same way that David's sin did, did it. That's right. And we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus' righteousness is more powerful than David's sin. Mm. This is Romans 5. Yes. We have the one man, Adam, through yep. whom all die, but the one man, Jesus Christ, all live and continue to create shalom, peace, mm-hmm. prosperity, and flourishing for those that interact with people filled with God's spirit. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm trying to think if there is a category in Samuel for this. If there's not, I just want to have it be said Okay. that... When we're talking about the king, the eternal kingdom, that that Jesus was enthroned um, as the descendant of King David in the fulfillment of this promise um, on the cross, mm-hmm. right? And now he sits on the, the the highest throne, yeah, in heaven. But he's also returning 
and will reign as king on the earth again. Mm-hmm. And we will have a son of God and a son of David sitting on an earthly throne eternally in the new heavens, the new earth when he yeah. returns. Go read Revelation 19 to 21. Yeah. And it's there. It's, it's almost as if like um, we always have a king like Saul and a king like David on the throne now. Yep. And the, the trickling down effects of sin and the trickle down effects of righteousness mm-hmm. live together on the earth. The wheat and the tares. The wheat and the tares. And then one day, King Saul will be removed. Yes. And all that will be left are those humble, those who humble himself before the commands of the Lord and see his peace and salvation reign in all the earth. Yes. And that's what happens when Jesus returns. That is what happens when Jesus returns. That's a beautiful place to stop. I love that. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. This that's has the, been great. That's the book of, first, that's the like book of Samuel. Uh, yeah. I uh, found that extremely helpful. I did too. <laughs> I hope you guys did. We came in here like, we've been studying Samuel and even an extra week longer than we normally take on a book. And, just to, and we still just felt like it was a lot. A beast. And so I feel a lot more solid uh, yeah. now. So anyway, happy reading of Samuel. And if you have any questions... Please email them to us, yep. leave a voicemail recording, uh, send it to podcast at spokengospel.com. If you could leave us a review, uh, that helps other people see Jesus and all scripture on iTunes and wherever else yep. that actually happens. Yeah. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.